Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,416. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into the EV market. This should be interesting because this past summer, there were two trips I took where I had my first experience with an EV. Six days each, uh, rented a Tesla to see what that was all about. And uh, of recent, we've read in the news, us car people and perhaps others, that things are a little shaky in the EV world. And it turns out a friend of mine, who is our guest today, wrote an article on his Substack about this issue. So we'll, we'll talk about this, learn a little bit more, and love to hear your opinions in the comments section on the CarShout website. So be prepared to be inspired and perhaps enlightened as well. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm at Moose Lodge. You probably go, Moose Lodge? What's Moose Lodge? We'll learn a little bit about that with a very special returning a guest and a friend of mine by the name of Tom Nalt. Tom, welcome back to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear? And are you ready to release the clutch? I sure am. Now, when I say release the clutch, what we're going to be talking about today really doesn't have much bearing, does it? Not really. No, there's no clutch. Exactly. Not in EV cars. And I, I wanted Tom to come back and talk about this issue. His uh, recent Substack article was very timely. I want to give you a little introduction for maybe some people that first missed the first two shows that you've been on because we talked mostly about uh, your involvement in the Pacific Northwest and car shows and then a wonderful book that you came out with. But allow me to give you an introduction real quick and we're going to take a deep dive into the EV world. How does that sound to you? Sure. All right. Tom Nalt's passion for entrepreneurship, a management and turnarounds began way back when he was in college, along with his fascination for companies that did great things. Tom also had a fascination with failures, how they happen, and more importantly, and how they could be fixed. I think we're going to touch on that today. Throughout his career, he had created many businesses, sold them, some went on to greatness, some maybe not. He helped many distressed companies, and he learned a lot along the way, and he also co-founded a wonderful car show that happens up here in the Northwest called Exotics at Redmond Town Center. I've been to many of those. Uh, it's become the largest weekly gathering of exotics and rare cars in the Pacific Northwest and the country, for that matter. It's a huge success. He joined the Board of America's Automotive Trust uh, that was an oversight for LeMay America's Car Museum, a museum just down the road from where I live. And when COVID struck, he wrote a book. And we talked about this on his last show. And if you missed it, you can find it on the Cars yeah website. It's titled How Not to F up your own company. Lessons I learned by screwing up. And today we're going to talk about the current state of EVs. So first a word from our sponsors to give them a little love and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner 
that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Tom, your recent Substack article, which is titled, My Opinion is Complicated, about electric cars, it struck me because I just got back from two separate trips where I rented a Tesla to get some firsthand experience. Six days I did with each of these with a Tesla. It changed my opinion a little bit about electric cars. However... There's some issues that are going up in the world right now. And I want to kind of walk through this Substack and talk about your situation with it, why you did this article and your insights, because your insights on business, I think, are very, very compelling. So let's start with you wanting to have something different in your garage. And you had a BMW i8, which is a pretty cool car. I've known you have a lot of cool cars. So let's first talk about why you were making a change with cars, and then we'll dive into the EV world. Okay, well, so my love of cars also has to cross with my love of being with my dog. Yeah. And so, you know, this is why I stopped, uh, well, really why I got rid of the i8 was because I looked at the car, and after a year, I'd only put 300 miles on it in the last year that I had it. And so no matter what I did, it had to be a car that was suitable for my dog because we're pretty much, we pretty much go everywhere together. And so that narrowed it down quite a bit. Ventured into the EV world, primarily because I wanted to try it. I thought that the, the i8 was a lot of fun, even though it's a hybrid plug-in electric. And so I drove the iX a year ago and was really impressed with the way the car drove. And that was all I was thinking about was I thought, okay, this is a car I can haul my dog and it's a lot of fun to drive. But at the time, there was very high demand for the car. They said it would be a year wait. Those videos, by the way, are still up on YouTube with the dealers talking about the long wait for the iX. And those were only recorded a year ago. And so anyhow, uh, that was really the, the interest in the car was that I just drove it and loved it. And so this time around, when they were so heavily discounted, I decided to get one. So that's really the basics. Now, you, have you had an uh, SUV before? Yes, I, have a, I, have, I currently have uh, the X7, and I've always had SUVs. 
And this was the first time I've ever gone with an all-electric SUV of any kind. They now call it an SAV, a sport activity vehicle, (laughs) rather than an SUV. Yeah, we've had two X5s in our family. They've been really stellar cars. The most We bought the first generation when they first came out and then bought it again. And uh, we've had that car now for 19 years. And it's it's been an awesome car. Every time I take it in for service, I bring home a, a new lawnmower for my wife. And she said, you know, this new car is nice, but writing a check for like $80,000 for and getting kind of the same thing. Yeah. Why would we do that? Uh, I like the backup camera, but other than that, it's kind of the same. A lot more plastic in the cars these days. So yeah, we haven't really made that jump, but I've been thinking about it and my experience with the Tesla kind of steered me into the thought process of maybe being more serious. But going back to this article of yours, you made an interesting comparison to McDonald's about companies trying to, let's say, cram down our throats, McDonald's, things that they think maybe we should be having, i.e. healthy meals, but maybe that's not what we want. And and I want you to elaborate that a little bit more. I thought it was a great comparison. (laughs) Yeah, so so people often project who they are rather than share who they really are. (laughs) And so this is something that McDonald's learned the hard way. I learned it the hard way when I was in the food business, and we were asking consumers what their preferences were for for foods they craved. And they all wanted to look like they ate healthier than they did. And so they would tell us, oh, they, they crave veggie platters. <laughs> so we created this veggie platter. We spent a ton of money creating these veggie platters to test. And they all tested very high and everybody said, great. They didn't sell at all. They just didn't sell. <laughs> yeah. And so... Lesson learned. You know, the hot fudge Sundays those sold like crazy. Of course. Even though in the focus groups, those showed, you know, a little bit lower sales, the veggie platter showing higher sales when we would rank all of these foods in a line. And so it was a really big lesson for me is that what people say they do and what they actually do are two different things. Yeah. And McDonald's learned that when they were crammed down this whole idea that they had to have healthier things on the menu. Now, sure, there's some that prefer that, but that's not the typical McDonald's consumer. And so McDonald's had to learn that the hard way. And now the same lesson is coming home in the EV circles within the car industry. Yeah. And that what people say they want and what they actually buy are two different things. And so the early adopters give a false reading about what the market might actually be when the reality is that the market may not be anywhere near as big as they think it is. Yeah. And so that's what's occurring. Well, you uh, gave a nice reference, and I'll put a link to it on this show's show notes page on the Cars yeah website. It was on Autoblog, and I think it was titled something like, Auto Execs Are Coming Clean, EVs Aren't Working. Yeah. Can you touch on what they're discovering in a very expensive way? Yeah, the sales just aren't there, that the consumers are not buying the cars that they put on the market that they thought they could actually charge a premium for. And and they all ran out and put deposits on these vehicles early on. Again, consumers sort of projecting what their behavior is rather than the reality of what it is. Now, there's a couple of factors that have impacted it. One is the higher interest rates that are going on right now. But the reality of electric cars and their shortcomings are a real thing. So, for instance, I'll give you a good example, the the F-150 Lightning. The range significantly decreases when you're towing a boat. I don't know what the exact numbers are. It depends on the weight of the boat, but the range decreases. 
So let's say you plan a trip somewhere and you have to go to an EV station to charge. Well, you have this little problem of this boat dangling off the back as you pull up to the chargers, and they're not drive-through chargers like a gas station. Right. So what does it mean? It means you have to disconnect the boat. You have to put the boat someplace while you're charging up the the EV to continue your trip. And so that reality is kind of sunk in with people who have a need for a pickup truck that's a real utility vehicle that's really hauling stuff. And so um, the market just you know, it hasn't been thought through, and suddenly you have this glut of, of Ford Lightnings on the market. Well, yeah, you said a, uh, made a comment in your article that you did a quick little search in your area, and you found hundreds yeah. of trucks that were available, right? Yeah, there were, I can't remember the number, it's in the article, but what I did was, I, I use cars.com a lot, and so that's how I do a lot of my vehicle research. I think it's a wonderful site. And so I did a quick search of the 500-mile radius. Now, keep in mind, we had the lightning at ERTC last year, and we had it there because it was so rare and hard to find, and the wait list was three years. Well, we now are a year later, and what did I find? I found, I think, 866 cars within a 500-mile radius available. Yeah. And so it was a it was a, a crazy shift of events. So this this is what's happening in the EV world right now. If you look up uh, BMW iX, which is what I got, you'll see that they're available everywhere as well. And there was a waiting list on those cars a year ago too. So what has been your experience so far owning? Now you have other cars, so you have backups. But let's pretend those cars didn't exist just for the time being. What's been your experience of that vehicle? Other than it's a great driving car, as you said. Oh, it's a, that's its strength, is that it's a phenomenal driving car. Take away all of the EV stuff. Just get in the iX and drive it, and it'll blow your mind. It is just an amazing car to drive. So let's separate that a bit and then get into the reality of EVs. And the reality is charging them up. And so it means that you've got to set up a EV station at home. And the quotes have varied for my particular house. The low quote is going to be around $1,000, not including the station. But the high quote was $4,600 just for the electrical work. They were dreaming because there's no way it costs that much to run an electrical line, 240-volt electrical line. But here's, here's the reality. If you plug into 110 with uh, with the uh, IX and your battery is drained, it's going to take you about five days to fully charge. Our- five days? Whoa. Five days. So that's like an old guy coming to your house with a shot glass of gasoline to put in your tank and then hobbling <laughs> home to get another one. You know, for five days. Well, yeah. You know, that that was something I experienced The my first trip. It was during car week in Pebble Beach. And, uh, you know, I, I tried to, I took the car somewhere because when they gave me the car, it was only about half charged. They were busy. Mm-hmm. They didn't have time to plug it in and wait, right? And I mm-hmm. needed a car. And so I found a station near my hotel. I thought, oh, I'll plug it in and go have lunch, come back. And, you know, well, <laughs> I came back and I think it had added 5%. So I learned yeah. the lesson about 
level one chargers versus level two chargers. And you regular listeners will remember I had a, a guest from England. This actually has a company where they're trying to put the higher level two chargers in all homes across Europe. That's their company's goal eventually, right? So I learned that lesson that, okay, I plugged this thing in and it really didn't nothing. The old man with the thimble full of gas. So now I had to go find a supercharger uh, to go do that. But the entire trip, I will say, although I enjoyed driving the car, there was this angst in me. Yes. When and where do I have to get, how am I going to do this? Because I've got to return the car. They told me I've got to return it fully charged. That's another story. I actually didn't, but it is the way it goes. But uh, yeah, so there's your your first issue. There's some added expense right there and could be big added expense, right? Yeah, exactly right. So if you take the expense, it, it ends up being for the number of miles you're going to drive the car, it's the rough equivalent of a year's worth of gas. So that's how you have to think of it is that by putting in that EV charger and all the components and the cost of installing it, it's about a year's worth of gasoline. So that's that's sort of a big negative. It does drop the charging time down to about 10 hours on the IX from an empty battery to a full. So it's a significant gain, but you are paying for it. This idea of, of stuff being sustainable isn't exactly true. I mean, even if you're putting up an electric windmill, it still costs money to make the windmill. So it's, wow. you know, it's, so you have to be realistic about what it is. I did, by the way, use a supercharger yesterday and from 40% to 80% took a little over a half hour. And um, that was at that was an 80 kW um, charge, and so that was uh, that was pretty good. Well, back to this concept, and you mentioned in your article of chase behaviors, not opinions. Yeah, it feels like the electric vehicle surge, <laughs> another bad pun, is really being crammed down our throats here, uh, and it's created a lot of political confusion here maybe not confusion that might be a wrong word but that configuration here it, it, it adds to the opinion and if you had a way of pushing that aside and back to this behaviors versus opinions this is something in the business world which ties to cars you've seen over and over again right yes uh, it's a common thing where a business will follow something based on what they think is popular opinion, only to fall flat on their face because it doesn't reflect the behaviors. Just because it's popular in the press doesn't mean it's the way that consumers behave. It doesn't mean it's the most important factor to them. And so chasing the latest cause, whatever it might be, uh, is often a folly because you have to look very closely at what people do rather than what they say. Tesla is in a very unique situation, and so everybody's chasing Tesla thinking they're going to go after that market. Uh, Elon Musk has done a phenomenal job of creating a brand mystique that the others just can't create. It's not just cutting edge because it's electric. It's cutting edge because of the drivability and the fact that this car has some some independence. It's not um, fully autonomous yet, but it's going to get there. They're just picking away at it little by little. And it's a combination of all of those factors, plus an incredibly strong, powerful brand that has a mystique to it. And so even if Elon created a, uh, an ICE engine, an internal combustion engine, he would still sell cars. And so, And it's just because of the way he does things. And so they're often confusing what Tesla does with what they think the rest of the automotive world can achieve. And, and yeah, maybe somewhat, but, uh, but you can't just translate those numbers. Toyota can't be Tesla. 
It just can't. And same with Ford, same with pretty much everybody else. I read an interesting article this morning while I was awaiting your call, and it said Tesla was doing a test where they're putting some analog buttons on their iPad, on their da- I call it the iPad, on their dash, but the, the, the flat screen. And the backlash from their consumers was, oh my goodness, uh, pretty tough. And again, they have a dedicated type of buyer that yes. loves that. And when they say, well, wait, why? one of the comments was, you're boomerfying your cars. Why would you do this? I had to kind of take a salt to that, but you know, I'm a boomer, so there you go. But I kind of... Yeah. I kind of get it, but they have a definitive market that they went after, and that market's pretty rabid, right? Yeah, it is. It is, and they're they're fans through and through. And and I, yeah, he's he's really done a marvelous job of of honing that brand image and making those customers happy. And he he's he's very in tune with what it is that they want. And so all of those things, plus his work on battery technologies, his work on everything. And, you know, those cars will eventually have Starlink in them. And so that's going to be a marvelous thing when that occurs. That'll probably be the first car brand to have it. And uh, so, you know, it, it I... I try to separate that from everything else. So Tesla is is one niche, and then the rest of the EV world is a whole different niche entirely. Right. Well, back in 2010, when Chevy came out with the Volt, um, actually where I was working before we had, Chevy came to our facility and did. it was one of their nine launch sites to bring the public in to get to drive their cars. And that was the first EV I ever drove, and it was the last EV until this summer. Now it was 2010. That was a while ago, right? So I want to talk a little bit about what we learned and what you learned, this article that you put a link to. It was an article in Autoblog and talked about uh, General Motors CEO Mary Barra talking about, uh, this is maybe not working so well. Can you touch a little bit deeper on what these car manufacturers are realizing now that they've chased this and realized, oh, we misread our market. And the first thing that comes to mind is your your uh, other Substack where you talked about the fiasco that happened with Bud Light and how they yeah. completely misread their market and kind of yeah. really blew it. Exact same thing where they're where they're listening to the hype in media. They're listening to the news cycles that regenerate this stuff to, in essence, get eyeballs, but it doesn't mimic the actual behavior of people, which is why there was such a big backlash with Bud Light. And it's not to make it political, but they they made some very wrong assumptions, and it showed just how out of touch the senior leaders were at Budweiser about who their consumers were. And then they made, they doubled down on the mistake by then attempting to stereotype who their consumers were, (laughs) and not realizing that their consumers weren't political, they were apolitical. And the very thing they didn't want was to be involved in a political brand with a cause. And uh, so I think in the in the case of the EV market, it's been saturated with the early adopters. They all bought their cars. But now you have to sell this to the mainstream buyer who's a little bit more pragmatic. And they're just not looking at it the same way. They're looking at, well, where are the charging stations? How fast is it going to be? Is this really going to produce a, a true savings? And there's another component here, Mark, that I didn't uh, address as much, but I've addressed it in earlier articles, in that the consumer always flows in the direction of convenience. Convenience to technology is like slope to water. It's the direction everything flows. 
And so what happens with, with, um, with EVs is when they're not convenient, when you have to hunt for a charging station, when you have to wait 10 hours to charge up, like some old guy coming with a shot glass to fill your tank, you know, that's, uh, that doesn't bode well with consumers. And so you look at any technology that dies, I go to the Consumer Electronics Show every year, you can tell which ones aren't going to make it because it's always the ones that aren't convenient to use. So that's that's a big component to it. Well, we've seen that. Uh, we saw that in the cell phone market uh, when yes. the, the first Apple phone came out. All of a sudden, wait, this is kind of easy. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. That, that, that was, in fact, what, what the macaws saw. They realized consumers were willing to pay a premium for convenience, and that's why they bought as many cell licenses as they could, and they bought up all the tiny little cell licenses around the country because they recognize the value of convenience, and that's so critical to the success of all of this. For those of you listening, mentioning Macaw, Bruce Macaw and his family, uh, his brothers at the time, he was a Pacific Northwesterner, uh, still has uh, car connections here, was a big uh, historic racer, and uh, we all know how well they did with Cellular One, kind of the the beginnings. You know, back to this article, the other thing that is a factor here is the government has been paying consumers an incentive. Now, that money doesn't just come from nowhere, except they do have the power to print money, but it comes from your and my pocketbooks, and that is starting to dry up. So that incentive, when that goes away, will also change people's opinions, right? Yes. Well, look at the contradiction, right? So yeah. you have them giving you a tax incentive to buy the car, a $7,500 tax incentive, and then they turn around and say, hey, you know, you're not contributing to the tax base with the tax on gasoline. So yeah. we're going to charge you a tax to drive an electric car on the freeway. So <laughs> in the state of Missouri, where I am right now, there you have to buy a little sticker that is, in essence, your contribution to the local gas tax. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, so you save it on one end and then they, they turn around and charge you on the other. I get it. You have to pay for the roads. But it's not free. It isn't like these discounts are are real. These incentives to get you there also put a strain on the electric grid, and there isn't necessarily capacity to do it. And so that's that's an issue. This idea that these are zero emission vehicles is nonsense. You got to produce the electricity somehow. So that in the in the where I live, there's a coal plant that's about oh 20 miles from here. Mm-hmm. That's generating the electricity for EVs right now. So, you know, none of these things are as they claim they are. And so that that has to be taken into consideration. It's just another solution. You mean those holes in the walls? That stuff's not free, huh? That's right. I'm surprised. One of the the companies that seem to be, at least from what I was reading, and I know you follow the business world, especially in the automotive world, pushing back on EVs was Toyota. And now it seems like they're coming out saying, you know what, we kind of told you so. Yeah. Yeah. Toyota is a very conservative company, and I've got friends at fairly senior levels there, and they don't jump out in front of anything. And Akio Toyota was kind of a master at that and sort of a wait and see. And so they didn't jump into the EV thing. And of course, they have one of the most successful cars ever made. And that is the um, the car that everybody hates that just about every cab driver <laughs> is driving these days. And so it's um, they have been you know very successful in the hybrid arena. 
And they're now touting the fact that they their new car, I forget the name of it, but I think it's the Crown, it's getting 41 miles to the gallon. And so, you know, that, that's Toyota's approach for now. They think that that's the, the most efficient thing out there rather than, and, and, you know, of course, Prius is just phenomenal success. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the term you use, which I love, go woke, go broke, yeah. is really all of what we've talked about today coming down into a couple words, isn't it? Yeah, it, well, that's that's what's happened is you have people out there that are very vocal that champion these causes and these corporations then follow this thinking that that's where consumers want to go when in fact it isn't where they want to go. And they're proving it by how they spend their money. And this is just another example of that where it has been the environmentalists that have been telling the automakers forever that they've got to go the EV route and that consumers want it and on and on and on. Well, it's just not true. They're not there. And so, for, you know, that's my tale of caution for any corporation that, that uh, follows the market based on the politics of the day is that you're going to get a bloody nose in doing it. And the saying, go woke, go broke, is actually true. It's not left or right. It's just any company that decides to follow a, uh, what they think is a popular political agenda when, in fact, it's not popular at all. I loved your line, people are hypocrites. They always say and do two different things. I, I believe you're right, and especially this day in the world of social media, people want to yep. look like they're appropriate and saying the right things, but exactly right. they may not be living that, right? They're not living it. No, they're not living it. And this is just one example. Um, what's happening right now in the EV world is just a, one example, and there are others. And I know that that's going to be, for those who are political junkies, they're not going to like hearing this, but, but the numbers speak for themselves. And so, yes, EVs are expensive, and, and they still haven't come down in price enough. And the fact is it's an expensive technology to produce. There's the reason, you know, the cost of a vehicle, the cost of, of goods, well, the cost of a vehicle is really driven by two things. It's the cost of labor to make it, and it's the cost of labor to, to find the stuff to make it. So it's really those two things. And so when you total all of that up, you end up with a very expensive vehicle. There's, you know, because that's, that's what goes into it. It's not like they're just pulling the number out of thin air. Right. Well, and what we are seeing with the United uh, Auto Workers Union uh, and some new deals they just cut, I think the first was with Ford, if I'm correct, of pretty substantial pay increases, which uh, the car companies aren't just going to suck these dollars up. It's going to all filter no. down just like the uh, minimum wage makes hamburgers at McDonald's very expensive these days, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. You've got to shove those costs somewhere and eventually the consumer pays. It's just that's the only way they stay in business. So how will car makers who have jumped into the EV pond get out of this problem? What do you, what do you see in the future for these car companies that are going, uh-oh, because I read another article this weekend about Volkswagen and I can't remember what the other manufacturer was, how deep in debt, oh, BMW, BMW and Volkswagen, how deep in debt these companies are. No doubt part of it is because of having to evolve into creating new technology in cars. Are we going to be bailing out car companies again like we saw in the past? I think that's 
that's inevitable. I think it's very difficult to sustain this. They, they, they also are running into a problem of diminishing returns within differentiation of these cars because, you know, what can you do with an electric window? Once you've made a car with an electric window, then how do you improve on that to make it something better? And so what they've done is they've incorporated a lot of artificial intelligence within these cars that you don't even know is there. It's taking me maybe, I don't know how many hours of sitting in this this IX to learn its layers and layers of systems and where everything is. Now, anybody can get in and drive it, of course, but to get at the settings, it, they, they run fairly deep. And then when you get out and drive the car, the car reacts in a certain way around certain things. And you go, well, I didn't know it could do that. Then you got to go look that up uh-huh. <laughs> and see, how do I adjust this? What are my settings? And so in the regenerative braking, there's like five different selections that you can pick, but it's deep within the car. And so... All of these little things, they've added to cars, and they come with a cost. There's the R&D to create it. There's, there's uh, the time to test and implement. But then and they do this because they've got to differentiate these cars and their brands and keep adding stuff because they think, well, this is the only way they're going to still attract consumers. Because, you know, think about it for a second. The cheapest cars still have a lot of features in them that are on par with some of the most expensive cars. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's now down to subtle differentiations between these cars. Well, I experienced that with my Tesla experience. And while I found it very intuitive to kind of figure things out, I realized after my first week with that Tesla why it was the cheapest rental car available on this particular rental site, uh, even cheaper than the tiny little Econo car that they offer. And I asked the guy at the counter, I said, why is this? And he said, well, because not many people want them. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, if you think about the percentage of electric vehicle owners to the percentage of ICE engine owners, yeah, it's a pretty huge... Uh, stretch there and it did take a while and, was, and the second time i rented the tesla it was a little bit frustrating because there were some things i just couldn't figure out like the simplicity yeah. of unlocking the driver's door and then having to reach across the inside of the car to get, let my wife in because the setting every time i reset it would not hold uh maybe yeah. that was a quirk in that car i don't know but however it was just kind of frustrating so yeah, those are experiences that kind of change your mind well you, your article is fascinating and i want to suggest to the listeners here you really should sign up for tom's it's your Substack. is that where people find these primarily yeah yes Substack under my name yeah and you I'll, can find it there i'll put a link to that and and by the way uh if you're interested in business which everybody should no matter how big or small i'll put another link to uh his most recent book how not to f up your own company lessons i learned uh by screwing up and i would encourage you to follow tom because uh his writings i think are are very very enjoyable i learn a lot from them and having worked in the been in the business world i went oh man where were you 30 years ago dude uh, <laughs> I didn't meet you soon enough, but uh, it's great. And I'll put uh, links also to the Exotics at Ribbon Town Center. Um, that's another fun website, even if you don't live up here in the Northwest. They have a lot of fun. You guys have a lot of fun in your writings there. There's a lot of snarkiness. Would that be the right yeah. way to put it? Yeah, people wouldn't know that it's the same writer. So how right. I write for ERTC and how I write for business are, are two different things. Humor doesn't always translate in business, and there's a lot of subjects in business where people 
people go, well, that's just not funny at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At ERTC, so the, the focus of ERTC is that it's like when we were kids and we rode our bikes to a corner and we all sat around making fun of each other. <laughs> and yeah. we just kind of had some laughs. And then as we got older and got cars, we did the same things. We'd meet at a restaurant and give each other a hard time. And so when we built ERTC, we carried that same theme. So the writing is aimed at the exact same conversation we'd have if we were standing around, you know, BSing about cars. So it's, uh, it's yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of innuendo and funny stuff in there, and that's the whole point. Well, it's great. I'll put a link to that as well. And also, you know, Tom lived up here in the Pacific Northwest, but he made a major change in his life and moved out to Missouri, uh, out in the, yeah. in the country, and he's at a place he calls Moose Lodge. And I'm going to put a link to his website. I think you'll find it very fun, very enjoyable. And uh, you've been there for how long now? Uh, two years this December. Okay. And if you want to see something cool, go Look up Tom Jowett, J-O-W-E-T-T, and go to his architectural website, and then look at his renderings. This was Tom's house. He was the architect for Bass Pro. And this guy makes Walt Disney look like a pedestrian. <laughs> wow. Take a look at his work, which is why I fell in love with his house and really wanted to buy it. He's a wonderful guy, an amazing architect, but take a look at the detail. He's the guy behind all of the Bass Pros for the last 32 years and then uh, Big Cedar Lodge and others. But it's wonderful stuff. Just um, you'll really enjoy it. Absolutely. Living the life. Tom, I really appreciate you taking another pit stop with me today. I think this is very timely because the uh, EV world is starting to realize things are maybe not as they should be. And I'm, I didn't want to make this show about disliking EVs because I really went into my experience as wanting to like them more. And I actually came out of it enjoying my experience driving the Tesla. I love the regenerative braking feature. I thought that was one of the coolest things. Now, when I came home and I jumped in my E46 M3 and went to the store, I almost ran into the guy in front of me on the freeway exit because I backed off the gas and the car didn't slow down very much. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Uh, so yeah, that that. but I loved the way that worked. I enjoyed the, uh, boy, the instant torque on these cars is just phenomenal, yeah. right? Yeah, you owe it to yourself. Uh, to get out and test drive an iX, a BMW iX, because it's a true, true EV and built from the ground up as an EV. But but drive it; it is a remarkable car, and so that's what sold me. All right, cool. Well, next time I take Jill's X5 in or my M3 for service, I will ask if they can loan me one. Um, I'm sure they will yeah. because they want to sell them, right? So I'm sure they'd yeah. be happy to do that. Tom, it's always a delight talking to you. I can't thank you enough for spending some time with me. Your insights are wonderful. Again, listeners, I really encourage you to follow Tom. I'll put links to all this on his Cars yeah show notes page. You'll learn a lot with every one of his readings. They're quick. Uh, they're delightful. And mostly they're very, very enlightening. And they teach you a lot of things, too. I love it. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. All right. Thanks very much, Mark. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Always fun to catch up. If you're listening to this program, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe. 
that the collector vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting from one place to the other. They're a part of our culture, our identity, and as a people, they bring us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, and thousand mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship. And their goal is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs. And they include Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many others. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the industry. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of collector vehicles skill trade, visit rpm.foundation today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!